good morning, Kat. Good morning, Shelley. How are you today? Yeah, good, thank you. It's actually not raining in Sydney and I'm not locked down all with COVID, so the days are good. Perfect. <laughs> so today we are actually doing a repeat of a podcast we actually recorded um, over a week ago now that very sadly didn't record right. So this is Off the Track Thoroughbreds 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if we can do a bit better this time. Yeah, well, I thought the last one was pretty good, but it was so disappointing when when the sound quality wasn't cool. Right, so off the track, thoroughbreds, big topic, and, and it's I've, something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, actually, this actually this is an interesting podcast because it's one. Well, we actually are in agreement, right? We are, yeah. Um, although, like, I am like I fly the flag for the off the track thoroughbred and the off the track standy. I'm a big fan of both, and you're not. <laughs> I just see too many situations where they end up in the wrong hands. Yeah, exactly. Not done right by. Yeah, and, and I think what we kind of because we discussed this. Um, the first version that we did of this and, and really it comes down to we both not see the same problems. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm just, I suppose, because of what I do, I'm very passionate about kind of spreading the word that these are actually very lovely horses if you actually do the right thing by them and understand them. Um, and, of course, you're just out there just seeing disaster after disaster after disaster. I think people because I see a lot know. of people have them sitting in the paddock where the ones that you see are the people that are trying to do right by yeah, them. Yeah, that's true. And really what I want to try and do is promote an understanding of them. So, yeah. you know, so they're not sitting in paddocks being neglected or, you know, that they actually can have a useful life after racing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into the off-the-track thoroughbred. I want to say one thing right up front that I think is really important. Yep. And that is an off-the-track thoroughbred or an off-the-track standard bred is a racehorse and has been trained to be a racehorse. And that cannot be forgotten. That is everyone's mistaken belief that they have been not just trained, they have been kept and maintained and managed to be racehorses. Yeah. A very, very, very specific job. Um, And they've been bred for it as well. That's correct. Absolutely everything about them is to be a racehorse. They are not a pony club horse. They are not a dressage horse. They are not a jumper. They are not a barrel racer yet. Yeah. First and foremost, when they turn up to you, if they've been through pre-training or whatever, they are a racehorse and you have to um, untrain that and unmanage it out of them um, because that, that can be is harder it, than breaking in a horse from track. That's right. Yeah, they're a very special job. They take you on a journey. In my opinion, it's a very fulfilling one uh, because the horse you get at the end has – has a lot of um, benefits, which we'll talk about at the end. But I want to start off with looking at, I want to start off with the whole management of them. And this is really like your realm because no foot, no horse. Yeah. Um, thoroughbreds have notoriously terrible feet. And there's some reasons for that as well as their diet and, and their metabolism and everything that's kind of been messed around with due to racing. Yeah. And I want to start there with your advice on the feet so 
we're going to talk about, let's say we've got a thoroughbred that's come off the track and still in racing plates and yep. we want to turn it out in the paddock for a couple of months to yep. let it down off its feed and like change its routine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be really aware when we take those shoes off from racing, we don't want them crippled in the paddock. Yeah, exactly. Because, because of they... course it's sore, their posture's going to get bad and then yep. their muscles get bad and it's a horrible cycle. Yep, not only that, they're going to be experiencing pain and therefore stress and therefore chronic stress. And chronic stress does bad things for their entire system, yep. their entire mental, emotional and physical well-being. Yeah. Now, why do their feet get sore when you take those plates off? Um, well, well, there's a couple of things. A lot of horses can be sore when we take their shoes off mm-hmm. anyway because they've got more proprioception and they can feel the ground more without their shoes on. Yep. But with thoroughbreds, a lot of them have subclinical laminitis. So subclinical being before there's clinical signs. So before we can take x-rays and get rotation, okay, we can see signs of laminitis in their feet. So they're going to have rings in their feet and they're going to have thin soles. Okay, is this because of their diet or the actual concussive forces on their feet? What, what, what I think is... it's more to do with their diet and the way that yeah. they're fed. So they're fed a lot of like high sugar, high protein mm-hmm. feed yeah. um, while they're in racing in order to have the energy that they need mm-hmm. to run. And yeah. let's, let's explain that we're being very, we're generalizing a lot here. We are. So not every thoroughbred you're going no. to pull the plates off. And, you know, in some thoroughbreds, is there, there really is in the training stables and things like that such a vast um, degree of difference in how yeah. horses are managed. There's some absolutely amazing trainers out there that, you know, uh, you, you know, just, you know, I follow one on Facebook and Instagram, which their horses, when they're not racing, they go jumping, <laughs> doing dressage. Yeah. You know, just really incredible. But there's, you know, many that are more of um, traditional type thing, just focus on racing. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, we're not definitely we're, we are making some generalization here, yeah. and just want to make make sure that we do know there's uh, there's some pretty incredible um, trainers and managers of racehorses out there. It's just that a lot of them do come off the track, um, and the ones that we meet, a high proportion of them, are, are, are carrying problems. Yeah. Um, from the way that they're managed and kept. I suppose also when it comes to their feet, they're also can be experiencing a degree of stress as yep. well. So, again, you've got old high cortisol levels and your stress hormones, et cetera, can have negative effect on yep. horses' feet. And the other thing that a lot of people might not realise is they're shod super regularly. So they're yeah. shod every two or three or four weeks because they're in aluminium shoes that they're wearing through. Yeah, and they need to change. Well, before they race, they're putting new plates. Yeah. Um, so, and the thing really, um, when it comes to horseshoes, it's that damage, the nailing into the wall. Yeah. Okay. That, um, you know, so the wall's been like heavily, heavily nailed into, um, so that, and, and they're shod to race. They're not shod for long-term management. Yeah. Like most horses are most of the pleasure horses or performance horses, you know, they're shod in a way that's to protect them over that particular shoeing um the shoeing time like the shearing shearing duration between chewing so the horse is you know supported laterally you know etc whereas race plates are put on to race yeah it's so really short term in a normal performance horse we would be looking at the 
hoof to be balanced for the whole, say, six-week period yeah. where in yeah. racehorses they want it to be the best possible performance within a couple of days and then putting those shoes on. Yeah, so it's totally different. It's real short-term, yep. not long-term kind of management yeah. prospects. So, yeah, so their feet come with lots of, lots of problems and when those shoes are taken off, just say if they do rock up in their racing plates and you take them off, what do you recommend? Because there's a good chance that they, they might be foot sore and having them foot sore is not cool for various yeah. reasons we so, talked about. So what's your recommendation? It depends on what you're looking at doing with the horse. If you're going to turn it out for a while, then mm-hmm. some regular trimming and if they're sore in the paddock, I really like boots. So yeah. um, I really like equine fusion boots. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get like a 10 mil or a 20 mil um, rehab pad to put in them. And yep. horses are so comfy in those and their bodies really love them. Yep. Um, for a horse that I was wanting to put like back into shoes um, to go back into work straight away, um, something with caudal support. So caudal being the back of the foot, so your front yep. and your digital mm-hmm. cushion. Yep. So like a bar shoe with a pad, um, some dentinal impression material, something like that. Because yeah. a lot of them are quite sore or have prolapsed frogs. Yeah. Which means that they their foot's not functioning how it should be. Yeah. So boots or actually reshoe them in more of a therapeutic type shoe. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to protect them over that letdown period. Um, so can you describe the letdown period? So you turn them out for a period of time just to let their bodies readjust to yeah. out of this high sugar, you know, intense kind of workout kind of life that they've been living. I don't tend to give them a letdown period okay. i think they thrive more on routine yeah okay. Um, okay, but i point. know that a lot of people do so yeah. i if i have a thoroughbred i would have them coming in each day they're getting tied up still they're getting <laughs> round yarded they're going to get their groundwork and that's their new routine yep rather yeah. than just leaving them out in the paddock yeah no. yeah i think there's something for that as well i think um, their bodies much prefer the work Okay, what if, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I agree with that. Lots yeah. of people do traditionally just turf them out and let them yeah. just go be a horse for a while, which does have some benefit as well for their head. Um, but as long as, the, you know, they've got that, main, they, they've, got some, they've got maintenance whilst they're out there and their feet are kind of protected and watched. However, what about if a thoroughbred rocks up to you and they've already been, like, they've been let down, let's just say they've been tucked out in the paddock for a couple of months and they rock up and their feet are like a mess. <laughs> all their feet are all over oh. the place. What do you recommend then? So I tend to find it's much easier to rehab feet without shoes on because mm-hmm. you're not trying to leave hoof walls to nail into. Okay. So where possible, if they're still going to be comfortable and sound, I will trim them for a few months before mm-hmm. we start shoeing them again. All right. What if they're sore, still sore? Is that when you go for boots? No, that's when I'd go for boots or we just shoe what we can and get them comfy. Sure. Because once okay. they're comfy, they tend to grow better hoof quality and all those things as well. So yeah, okay. whatever keeps the horse comfortable, but we're, we're trying our best to keep the hoof as nice as possible. Yep. Okay. So let me get this right. So if their feet are just really terrible and they're really uncomfortable and they're kind of beyond boots, then we put a therapeutic shoe on? Um, if they can withstand being without a shoe, but they're uncomfortable, we'll use boots. Yeah. Um, just to try let that hoof wall kind of um get some integrity from all the nail holes and stuff yep. that it's got in it. It's easier to shape. 
And if they're one of the rare runs that can actually handle it, <laughs> then that's beaut and just lots of um, regular trimming to try to get the hoof back into some kind of functional, a better functional state. So a lot of thoroughbreds when they come off the track um, mm-hmm. would have negative palmer angles. So palmer it's... angles are the bone, which is your P3 bone in the bottom of the foot. The pedal bone, um, yep. Yep, sorry. Um, pedal bone, um, the angle of it should be between three to eight degrees. Um, okay. And what happens with a negative palm angle? What does that so mean? So negative means that the bone has rotated mm-hmm. the other way and so yeah. it's sitting at a negative angle. So that has a really bad effect, especially we see a lot more in hind feet than front feet. Yeah, okay. Um, and in hind feet it causes the horse to stand with its back legs underneath itself and then the whole back end sort of tilt so you get a pelvis tilt um yeah and the back legs stand underneath themselves so then okay. you're fighting that in their posture as well yeah okay so that negative palmer angle or changes to that pedal bone kind of degree that it sits has this massive effect on their tendons and ligaments and how they stand and then that changes yep. their posture and then that just goes yep. and causes a whole lot of problems so Absolutely. getting that all right is a good thing and i suppose that's why um like just say as a Barrier, you're making a very good educated kind of assessment and guess yeah. in inverted commas to, to yeah. trim right um you know and some sometimes however you might actually need x-rays if it's absolutely yeah x-rays, x-rays are always ultimate. Helpful, but there are some external markers that you can look at and tell as well so yeah, yeah. Um, if you're educated band, about it yeah, yeah you want the coronet band to sort of angle towards the horse's elbow to knee and okay. if it's hitting itself up in its belly then you know that they're very yeah. low angle. yeah interesting that's really cool you should do a uh, blog on that that would be really cool i will put it on my list to do put it on your list things to do just as one of the many i put on there okay so yeah that's really interesting now tell me about their diet what what would what would you recommend for that to help this hoof kind of return to a more functional state so diet is one of those things that the feet are only a litmus paper for the rest of the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a diet that's good for the feet is going to be good for the rest of the horse as well, or a diet that's good for the horse will be good yeah. for its feet. So high fibre, lots of hay, lots of um, grass where possible, um, as long as it's not stressed out grass that's yeah. Um, got high sugars and those sorts of things um but hay's good chaff's good um looking at feeds that are less than 10 percent um of starch yeah so that they're not stressing them out but that's the same thing for ulcers so yeah we don't want to give lots of high grain high sugar yeah diet. exactly look i'm I, I will say that i just touching on the ulcer thing there the you know the most of the thoroughbreds that came to me to be good I actually just put them on a um I just would put them on an ulcer treatment yeah it was just like any horse that came in that I could tell that had been stressed and chronically stressed I would um put them on ulcer treatment um so omeprazole yep and and monitor that of course it's best in inverted commas to get scoped first um because sometimes you might need double dose of drugs um, to different drugs to actually counteract if the ulcers were quite severe, you know, and sometimes you are treating without it. However, I, you know, <laughs> with every horse with expensive owners and stuff like that, I'll just put them on a, a, a course 
and monitor how they they kind of went but yeah they a good proportion of them come off with with ulcers so when I'm bringing them back in and transitioning them that is always something that I would always regularly do yeah um any other uh, diet advice that you would give any supplement you recommend or anything like that for the hoof? So horses full stop, most of their diets are lacking in copper and zinc. Mm-hmm. So looking at things that uh, have a good amount of copper and zinc. Yeah. Yep, cool. So do you recommend any – is there any hoof supplement out there that you think is a good one? I have my preferences. Mm. Um, I really like Carol Layton's minerals. Um, and Belinda's loose flick is a really good one that I recommend to some clients to have out in the paddock. Yeah. Um, they're not feeding every day. Um, Equine Vitamin Min is another fantastic one. But every most companies have a good mineral yeah. mix. It just depends on your preference. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we've got the horse. We've got making sure that everyone out there understands these horses' feet have to be comfortable. Uh, because coming up against that with training is kind of one of my biggest obstacles is discomfort in the feet. Um, and so getting them right is so important, making sure that they've got the protection that they need if they do um, and that their hooves are being um, well-maintained so that they're not experiencing pain, so they're not changing their posture and then that's causing a whole lot of other problems or they're just having this kind of chronic discomfort from their feet which emotionally and mentally um, really and physically really hampers a horse. Okay, so let's dive in now um, into training, okay, Um, into into taking your racehorse and converting it into a horse that you can enjoy that becomes basically a pleasure horse. So number one thing I want to press home is what I said right at the start. These are racehorses. They've been trained to do a very, very specific job. Um, and you have to untrain that aspect and then train them to actually do what you want. So, um, and I just work them through my foundation process. So it's, this is what I do. You can, we can have a chat about if you do anything different, um, but you've got to untrain those aspects and, and key things with them that um, I talk about is, is first of all, they've, you've got to physically rehab them, which we touched on them. Then we've got to actually change the way that, that, that they're kind of managed and handled. So in, and I'm, again, I'm going to make a bit of a generalisation here and you can chime in as well, but a lot of racing stables just manhandle them. Do you agree, yep. Kat? Yeah. Yeah, they're just Especially kind of- because a lot of them are turning up there at 18 months old, two years old, and they're little. Yeah. And they're sensitive because thoroughbreds for the most part are very sensitive so we can move them around like that yeah and so they tend to be you know they're dragged around in chains and bull bits they're kind of manhandled they're kind of um yeah they'll 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 rock up with no idea enough when i was over in perth i really i collected a heap of footage of thoroughbreds and off the track thoroughbreds and how completely unresponsive they were to halters yeah and it's not that they don't understand, it's just that there's a few reasons. First of all, they're not actually taught. They just, they're just manhandled in them. They're just kind of 
pushed and around. And then in them. if they ignore it, no one's consistent enough to follow that up and go, yeah. no, that's not okay. Yeah. And the other thing they do, because they can't work out, they, they've got no clarity and no, they just feel restrained. They actually just shut down and disengage from it. Yeah. So they don't even try. It's like they've got complete learned helplessness when they're handled. They just dull and push and or allow themselves at best to be dragged, pushed, prodded, yanked around. And so just changing that whole basic handling, you know, basically start with halter halter breaking them. (laughs) That's really what I recommend, halter breaking them. And I use my backward-forward yield exercise for that to get them really tuned up um, to the halter. And we've got to understand that that teaches way more than backwards, forwards and yield. It teaches them to actually want to be with us yeah. and want to learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get them back engaged because they just, so many of them are disengaged and yeah. they disengage primarily in two ways. The ones that completely disengage, which seem kind of dead and slow and then, you know, they're the, they're the thoroughbreds that rock up that people tell me, oh, they're so lazy and so slow. But then when they lose it, they lose it. Yeah. It's because they're not lazy and slow. They're actually completely disconnected. Yeah. They're shut down. And then you get the ones that are just, their focus is over the back paddock and they're just wild and difficult to handle. So there's those two presentations, the ones that go down like when they, it's really like kind of a post-traumatic stress kind of thing. Some are like go down the dissociated route and shut down and other ones go through the arousal route of being really up and, you know, and full on and, and wild and stuff to deal with. Um, and then you've got ones that flit in between the two and a whole lot, are, you know, in between. But it's all from just having basically they've been trained to be going to that barrier and run, yeah. you know, and gallop for certain periods of time and a whole lot of very specific training that goes into that. So basic hand, basic training for handling, and that includes picking up their feet <laughs> for the farrier and not just being sedated <laughs> like, a, you know, a lot of thoroughbreds can be when they're on the track. So all that kind of handling, that starts. And then um, I always, always start just like with any horse I reboot, I put it in the round yard. And yeah. my reason for this being is not only are you rebooting it and restarting it, but it's really important for the thoroughbred that's off the track or the standard bred for two. So thoroughbreds off the track can normally, they normally um, have a, depending on which way they ran, like clockwise or anti-clockwise, so depending on which state they raced, they will um, typically be strong on, just say if they ran Um, clockwise they'll be strong on their um, left lead but they'll be completely hopeless on their right lead yeah in canter so the round yard's really good at getting them evened out in their um and their ability to actually canter both ways not only the cantering but actually just moving in a relaxed manner yeah this is very true because the job is a racehorse when they hit those um when they hit canter and then they go up the you know, the, the, the levels within their gate that they have, they're meant to act on that adrenaline. Yeah. They're not meant to be like cruising along, loping along. That's not their job. They're a racehorse. So they're meant to like get that adrenaline, hit them and to act on it. Whereas with a pleasure horse, you've basically got to um, desensitize them to that adrenaline hit and let them relax into a lope. 
So you've got to teach them to relax into their gates. And that goes for walk and trot as well, you know. Absolutely. They've got to learn to change to their posture. relaxation. Absolutely. And you see it change massively. Now, for the standard bred, a lot of those horses actually have to learn to canter again. Yeah. Um, because canter and pace are actually very similar biomechanically. And although they're gated horses, so they're born with the ability to both trot and pace, sorry, canter and pace, that you have normally the, the canter in them has been kind of punished out of them. So they're way more prone to pace than canter and you have to retrain that. Although I've got to tell you this story very quickly. <laughs> when I was in WA, I, um, I was doing a clinic at a really nice equestrian facility that was also a training stables for standard breads. Yep. And next to the indoor where I was working, there was actually the, the training track um, for, the, for the paces. Anyway, I've got like, there's this horse galloping like this in a cart, full on <laughs> galloping around this track. And I just looked at it and assumed that it had bolted because it was so fast, like, oh, my goodness. And I just thought, oh, it's bolted, like, oh, God. But the guy in the, you know, in the cart seemed all calm. Anyway, and then I was chatting to the owner of the facilities and I said, oh, you know, there was, there was lots of um, galloping and stuff going on. And she goes, oh, yeah, no, our, they, you know, she said my, you know, her dad was the, the trainer and no, our standard breads can all walk, trot and canter. We always warm up in a gallop. That's and she fantastic. goes, I know. She goes, we're really different. We're different. Um, she described her dad as being more old school. She goes, but all our standard, all our horses can all walk, trot, canter and gallop. We use all of them. Um, so, yeah, just the way that they're actually trained, they do not destroy that pace, um, that particular gait, because they believe it's a really great warm-up. Now, really interesting, so she was saying our horses can race up to 12. So they've got really long racing careers. Yeah. Most no, because we keep them sound. She said yeah. we, we don't, you know, we, we, we look after them. Anyway, it was really fascinating. So it was like, wow, that, that is, was really good to see because a lot of them are just, you know, you can see when you're, when you're teaching them to canter is that initially they panic about it because they're being, um, you know, they're being tied up in a way where that's been made to be really yeah. uncomfortable and stuff. So with the standard bread, round pendings used to be able to reboot basically that gate in many of them. Yeah, so that was really fascinating. I've got a little standard bread mare here at the moment. Have you? She, we're having some issues with catching, which is fine, but I um, was working with her yesterday and sending her off and she goes into canter and she full panics, the poor darling. Yeah, that's not that's, – that's really common. Yeah. And it's key with them. Um, so you know my rules of standard breads, getting them to canter. Just work just on the transition to begin transition, with. Yeah, one, yeah. one step mm -hmm. and leave them go. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing is do not even ask for canter until they're mainly always just trotting and there's yeah. no pacing. This um, girl doesn't pace, so that's a good start. That's cool. Okay. And then you don't even consider, just keep touching the canter button yeah. until – you just get canter and no pacing afterwards and you yeah. just see that whole thing relax. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're obviously in early stages if she's just, yeah, panicking because she, they've got to get she's over. She's not uh, going to be a riding horse. She's in foal at the moment. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, you just got to with those, yeah, it's just hitting the canter button 
um, a number of times just until they realise they're okay and yeah. know there's going to be no negative uncomfortable consequences for them. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yep, so round pen is very important for both the racehorses, um, standard breads and thoroughbreds to actually get them quite even and then all, all the other benefits of round penning, which helps, you know, work a horse mentally, emotionally and physically, yep. which, um, which that whole process does, which I can ramble on about for <laughs> hours, but we're not doing that. So definitely put them in there. Um, then with groundwork, then that goes up to putting a halter on their actual face and um, teaching them to follow feel. Yeah. Um, there's normally a lot of brace in racehorses, a hell of a lot of brace, so getting that out, teaching them to follow feel and then transitioning that onto their back. But really important thing with groundwork is putting on leg, doing a lot of um, desensitisation of their sides and putting in a lot of buttons on their sides before you get on them, which is what I advocate. Because people don't realise that a lot of these horses haven't been ridden with any leg on them whatsoever because the jockey's legs are so high. So I'll never forget the first thoroughbred that I ever rebooted um, that taught me a lot about the process. I sat on him for three days as he kept biting at my legs. (laughs) He was really offended and worried because I didn't get it you know and that's when I had to get off and do a lot of work on desensitizing his side and putting the buttons on his side and then he was like oh oh okay <laughs> is that what it is if but he was really quite defensive about it. it yeah just got to be people but people get on and it was quite interesting because when I first saw this horse before I got him he was taken because he had a very good rep- reputation on the track as being a very lovely horse yeah and he was taken off to a clinic so he basically came off the track and went off to just say a general riding kind of clinic and at that clinic he absolutely became overwhelmed and was rearing and yeah. and going on and it was decided that he probably wasn't uh, appropriate to be a riding horse and it was considered that he'll probably be put down. Oh. And that's how I got hold of him. But the whole reason being is that they had no appreciation. He didn't know. It's no wonder he was carrying on like that because he was so defensive of his eyes. Yeah, where no. at the yeah. track he knows what the rules are yeah. and he just gets the travel and then you're trying to put more control in that travel and where he's going and all exactly. the rest of it and in different tack. And yep. there's horses going around that he's meant to be running oh, again. He, and you yeah. no longer want him to do that. And Yeah, oh. he lost it. Yeah, He absolutely just lost it. But, you know, and now today he's still a remarkable, very chilled out guy that he turned into. But he had to be untrained to be a racehorse. And, and leg, his, his way that he felt about his sides being touched yeah. um, required a lot of work. In fact, out of all the thoroughbreds that I've dealt with, he, he sits at the top as the longest horse it took me to get, you know, for him to feel comfortable about his sides being touched. And so do you think he had ulcers? I had him on ulcer treatment at the time but definitely yeah. could have been related. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he was just super defensive, super defensive about being touched on his sides. Yeah, so I had to do a lot of work there. And then it was like, oh, (laughs) he just said when he got it, oh, you communicate. Okay, that's all right, and you communicate to me there. And it's just like, oh, I get it. And then as soon as he understood it, yeah, the the threat and the insecurity about it just disappeared, you know. But three three days it took me to work that out. So, yeah, so now it's just part of my routine. Now the next thing is is their mouth. Yeah. 
normally they've got no mouth and they've got so much brace. You pick up that rein and they just protect themselves with brace. And this horse, again, the one that I was talking about that I had to sit on for three days, you know, he was um, ridden in a bull bit because he had was known to be particularly bad with his mouth, you know, yeah. and I just break him in in a halter, you know, and he's like butter with the, with yeah. the bit. Um, but that's because I completely and absolutely remouthed him. Yeah, so but they got a lot of brace, so you've got to do a lot of work there. Um, and yeah, you've got to about you've got to teach them, you know, a, a posture to go in. And as we have already, um, as we've already mentioned, relaxation has so much to do with their well, not just relaxation, but also their feet and everything like that. Yeah, being comfortable. Yeah, it ties in so much to their posture. Um, yeah, because they're. You know, they've been trained to race. They've been trained to be in this kind of startle kind of reflex type thing and, you know, into that particular posture. And they've got to learn how to hold someone, not a little light jockey that's only on them for a period of time whilst they gallop. This is like long-term riding soundness that you have to prepare them for. So all that has to be trained. And if you take a horse off the track, that's ready to, that only knows racing and you get on it and it's, and it's leg cues are non-existent and it's mouth one massive brace and it's tense. That's why you get a recipe for disaster. That's why racehorses ex off the track thoroughbreds have such a bad shitty reputation is because you're dealing, it's like getting in a car with no steering wheel, no brakes, no ability to steer it that's on rocket fuel. Yep. You know, so all that has to be recreated. And I think there's also a lot of people around who ride horses off the track once they finish Mm. who have ridden them as track riders and so that's their normal. Yes, And they don't have a problem with it. And then they're rehoming these horses to people that have different expectations. Exactly. And actually I was talking to someone that used to ride track the other day and, you know, they'd – they're really interesting because they'd had a big wreck off a horse yep. in an arena. Um, and But they still felt quite comfortable out on a racetrack or on a trail. Yeah, okay. It's really interesting. So when the horse was free and just going forward, that was okay. But it was like the constraint that a, an arena puts on the horse and, of course, that constraint is all related to the training so it's more pressure on a horse in the arena because you've got to steer it and control it than just putting yeah. it on a track and facing it forward. So that was really interesting. That really goes to show you, you know, like the, just the ease of just going forward on a track or a trail compared to, you know, go people go put them in arenas and want to turn them and do small circles and do all these things and how, how much it highlights, yeah. um, you know, how, how the racehorse isn't set up for that. And, again, we're generalising because some of them do. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, many of them can't. Okay, so we finish off. I want to talk the last two th- topics I want to talk about is complications and then they're good things. I want to finish yep. off with the good things, right? But there's some complications to the off-the-track thoroughbred that have to be discussed. Um, we've already talked about their feet and all that type of thing. The next thing I want to talk about is their confirmation. So when you're picking your off-the-track thoroughbred, do a little bit of research and understanding of confirmation because um, thoroughbreds do come with a range of confirmation. There's basically riding-type confirmation and more racing-type confirmation. 
So racing type tend to be quite bum high, et cetera, and the more riding type tend to be a little bit more level. Now, while I say that is that all of them can make lovely horses, but if you're decided you're taking your off-the-track thoroughbred and, and want to go do dressage on it and you want to go do collected work, those horses with a racing type confirmation are really going to – you're really giving them a hard task when it comes to collection. And they're going to be more likely to break down earlier. That's correct. Yeah, they're going to um, they're going to find the job a bit harder. So make sure that you pick your thoroughbred on its kind of structure, form to function. Okay, so um, understanding a bit more about confirmation when you choose them. Yeah, because if you go choose a little racing bred sprinter <laughs> that's really built downhill, and you're going to want to go do you know, dressage on it, you're, you're giving it a bit of a hard task. But if you're someone that really loves barrel racing or, um, you know, just doing some low-level stuff, that's okay. But, you know, just got to be aware that the confirmation of the horse is either going to make its new job, you know, easy or hard. So, you know, make sure that you, you, you select a horse that's, that's already kind of got some assets in their confirmation department for what you want to do. Um, next complication is injury. Yeah. You want to talk a bit about that? Well, a lot of them tend to come off the track with injuries. Yeah, they do. Uh, that's often why they finish up their racing is because they're not traveling because they are sore somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about the work that they do in racing, it's kind of not surprising. Like there's a video that's been going around at the moment of a horse um, in the barriers and then like taking off at a gallop and the way the whole hind end drops and for them to dig in their hind feet and push mm. off, like that's a massive amount of uh, intensity on their limbs and those kinds of things when they do that. Yeah, so they can have some real hidden injuries like a lot of strain in their hind end or a lot of Well, them- how many of them when you see them have got like hunter's bumps? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, that's not normal. Yeah. You don't see that in other breeds. Yeah. And a, a lot of failure to build top line and how yep. they lose their condition. I think, I think losing their condition has to do with a lot of like tension and pain through their body but also has a bit to do with their metabolism and gut health too. Yeah, so yeah. So I think it's like one big picture of um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a quite a few things. I just want to don't want to just pick one thing for their those thoroughbreds that lose condition quickly because it's yeah it's a bit of a holistic a, a holistic thing you've got to look at yeah. to rectify it but yeah definitely they can have a lot if you really got to get stuck in so off track thoroughbreds I always recommend you 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 know a lot of regular body work osteopath chiropractic whatever is your thing or maybe what what i do is i use all of them <laughs> yeah yeah same. um yeah the and, more people you can have in your corner the better off you're gonna yeah, be yeah but and that learning, also means that there's a massive amount of money that you've got to that's correct people. yeah these horses might not cost very much however they you've got to go on a journey with them and really understand them personally i find it very rewarding um, with them and i'll explain why with their good points but yeah you've got to invest in these horses you've got to you have to rehabilitate these horses you know because they're having such a job change you know you're completely changing them the last thing i want to talk about is with their racing they can actually have um this Skeleton, et cetera, can be quite affected by it because they're quite young when they race. 
they can, and depending on like the camber of the track and, and camber, what I mean is the slope of the track. So it's depending on if they ran mainly in the city or in the country or a mixed, that can actually have a great impact on their bone development because the angle of the track can affect the kind of concussive impact on the bones that can actually make certain sides of them like to say their femur bone, like I've seen some, um, you know, some studies done of the femur bone of both sides of their body when they're like in a dissection, the femur bone can look like it's from two different horses on both sides of their body. Um, because of the effect of this camber and this, you know, this uneven kind of impact on the bone. So just say we, uh, the particular thoroughbred I was talking about before that bit at my leg for three days, um, he, every time that he has time off, he will kind of regress and he'll always struggle with things to go right. Yeah. Okay. It's like he gets gets bent like a banana, and I really believe that that might, must have something to do with his actual actual skeletal structure must be out that causes um, complete tension changes, etc., throughout his body whenever he has time off. So he's a horse that really needs to be kept in work um, because of this kind of. I think, as I said, I think it actually does boil down to his actually anatomy <laughs> changes. Asymmetrical. Yeah, he's asymmetry. Something really interesting as well is I was talking to someone the other day about overseas. If you turned a horse out for three months, you'd bring it back in and you'd take three months to bring it back into work. Yeah. And you'd get on them to start with and you would just travel. So you'd go on road riding or trail riding and you'd just walk and trot and then after a couple of weeks introduce canter. And that's before you start worrying about their headset. But so many people are so worried about their headset and they get on an arena and ride oh, and the horses yeah. have no work and they yeah. just want them to go in a certain posture. Yeah. Well, yeah, they've got to be look pretty in their frame with their pole the highest point and these horses, yeah, it's just. They're not strong enough. It's not strong enough and you just, you just, people just make it so goddamn hard for them. Just make them suffer. Basically, that's what they're doing. They're making them suffer instead of understanding them and um you know what i believe is that you round learn you put them in the round pan you groundwork them you you re-break them in like they're they're completely unbroken and you redo them and then you start clocking up some kilometers and you just let them learn to be a regular pleasure horse with a strong foundation of it before you then start going and really trying to manipulate its way of going yeah so I totally agree with that. Now, the good things. <laughs> I just want to talk about why I do love them because when you strip away racing, racing from them and you re, you completely reboot them and you're left with the horse in front of you, the thoroughbred in front of you, there's, they've got some really good attributes that I really want to talk about. They are um, super which athletic. means that all the time and what you've learned along your journey and all the money you've spent on them, you know, there's a really good pot of gold at the end. So the good things are is that they're super athletes. Yeah. They just are super athletes. So many people go and buy draft crosses and things like that or Frisian crosses and or Frisians or what. And not saying I don't have any negative about that, but they're, they're, they're being, they've actually been bred for another job like pulling carts and things like that or more drafty types when they're wanting to do something that's really athletic like jump or dressage or something like that. And those horses just struggle with the athleticism, not thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds are athletes. 
Okay, they, you know, they just find athleticism easy yeah. um, and a lot easier than other horses, especially if their confirmation really sets them up for it as well. So they're great athletes. And if people want to do athletic endeavours, um, then these horses have strength in that, whereas a lot of other breeds or a lot of uh, out there, they struggle with it because they're not actually athletic. They've got strength and power, but they're not necessarily super athletes. The next thing is they typically can have had a very good start in life, yeah. which means they've been bred on those big thoroughbred studs in those big herds and they've had this kind of real kind of their early childhood was actually quite functional, you know, was actually quite healthy. So when you strip off all the racing stuff underneath, you've actually got this horse that's actually really quite switched on. Yeah. This, is quite a, this can be quite a healthy horse if it hasn't been kind of disturbed by all the chronic stress and stuff like that. So when you strip that all off, you find this horse that learns like a sponge and can pick up and adopt things and can learn to relax and all things that horses that do have great starts in life can experience. The next benefit is they have had life experience. They have been out and about. They have travelled on trucks and to different racetracks and they've been here and they've been there. They're not like the really difficult basket case horses out there that have been born on the one property and never left and only ridden on the one arena. Yeah. Okay, those horses have mega problems. These <laughs> horses have seen the world, okay, and that's a really important thing for a horse with its mind um, to experience different, um, different locations and different journeys and stuff like that. Um, I find them very lovely horses. I find them lounge lizards. They're not anxious speed freaks they're not they're typically horses that really like being relaxed they really like being calm and they're um super trainable they're very very easy to read yeah. so if they're upset they let you know if they're worried about something they let you know so they're not hard to read like some like my number one i talk about it quite a bit but my number one problem horses are frisians and Frisian crosses, they sit at the top. And their thing is what makes them so hard is that they're not bad They're not bad horses at all. They're actually beautiful horses, but people misread them because when they get worried, they tend to slow down and go quiet. <laughs> and then people decide they're being lazy or stubborn and go hit them with a whip. But when you've got a thoroughbred on the end of your lead rope that's dancing about a bit, letting you know loud and clear it's not uncomfortable, you'd never hit it with a whip. Okay, so you'd never label it lazies. And that's why the, the Frisian and the Frisian crosses or the draft crosses or whatever lash out because they're actually overwhelmed and bubbling at the time. Yeah. But the thoroughbred lets you know. So they're very easy for people to read. They've got a stack of try. They're stoic as hell and they're versatile. And that's yeah. why, like, I really love them. So you can barrel race them. You can rodeo them. You can English them. You know, you can pleasure ride them. They're, they've really got, they really are a really versatile, lovely horse when you've got rid of the racehorse in them. And that's a journey in itself. And you need money, you need time, and you need commitment. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Any last comments? Uh, horses are not motorbikes. They're not. No, they're not. They require a lot of work and a lot of effort. Um, but they're very, very rewarding. And I think there's nothing, there's something special. I think for me personally, this is totally, totally me personal. This is totally my personal own opinion, but I love taking an animal that was sold for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars 
gone into the racing and then discarded when it's not good enough and um, or it's been injured or whatever and yeah. then giving that horse um, an education which protects it because when they leave that racing industry, they can be at risk. And I do admire, they've got to acknowledge that the racing industry is doing something about that with thoroughbred training and off-the-track kind of um, programs and everything that is out there. Like that, that's, really, that's really great. But everyone, if you can just understand them and if you do acquire one, you know, they are a lot of work. But underneath that, you can give that horse an education and if you give that horse its value than just its thoroughbred breeding, which might have mattered for the first few years of its life. There we go. There's my (laughs) thoughts on off-the-track thoroughbreds. (laughs) Let's hope off-the-track thoroughbred 2.0 records well so people can hear our thoughts. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, Sally. All right, Kat, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Candor Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Candor Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr. Shelley Appleton, Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.